0: Amen. Yeah, let's put our hands together and praise Jesus. You may be seated. Cassidy talked about power, and over the last several weeks we've been looking at the power of Christ's love, and Christ has power to heal disease and heal the blind and heal the lame and raise the dead, and that's an incredible power. But perhaps Christ's power is most greatly displayed when He transforms a heart. When He transforms a wicked heart and a wicked nature into a new nature and a new heart, a selfish life into a worshipful life, a fearful heart into a heart that loves, a heart that craves this world into a heart that craves Christ, the living water, the greatest display of Christ's resurrection power is when He makes the heart new. And this is the subject of Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 8. One of the greatest pleasures of any pastor is to stand before his congregation and say, would you open with me to Romans chapter 8? And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 for the next four Sundays. If the Bible wore a crown, Romans would be the crown jewel, and the eighth chapter of Romans would be the glorious shimmer across that crown jewel. Romans chapter... Eight. And I am looking forward to being in this chapter with you guys as a church family over the next four weeks. Um, today we are covering Romans chapter 8 verse 1 through 4 over the next month. We'll be covering subsequent verses as we walk through the chapter. Today we are talking about uh, this series we've entitled Breakthrough because through Romans chapter 8 we, we will be breaking through strongholds in our life. And so today we will be talking about breakthrough condemnation and live in liberty. Break through condemnation and live in liberty. So let's read our text. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. There is therefore now. So this isn't like past tense. This isn't like present tense. This is now. There is therefore now. Right now, today. This isn't later tonight. This is now. Everybody here can experience the power of the resurrection in their heart to make all things new. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus. So we have the operative phrase in our text ...is in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus... ...from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do... ...by sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh... ...and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh... ...in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us... ...who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirits. What was our operative phrase? For those in Christ Jesus... And we have incredible promises for those in Christ Jesus. It's not for everybody. It's for those in Christ Jesus. For those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus, they can walk in complete freedom. So what we all need to make sure in order to experience the power of the resurrection is that we are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, like Noah was in the ark... And he was saved from the destruction that came upon the world. Like Jonah was in the well, he was saved from his own devices and led by the sovereignty of God to fulfill his destiny. And in the same way, we are in Christ, and therefore we can walk in freedom. We are in Christ, therefore there is no condemnation. We are in Christ, therefore we are in the mighty grip of God, guided by His sovereignty to fulfill His purposes. For our life, we are in Christ, therefore, uh, no weapon formed against us will prosper. We are in Christ, therefore, all things, even the bad, even the sorrowful, work together for the good. We are in Christ, and this is our identity. We are in Christ, this is our identity. But we try, to, we try to wrap our identity around our affluence. But affluence will fail us. Affluence will give out. Affluence won't make the trek into eternity. We try to wrap our identity around our appearance. But our appearances will fade. We try to wrap our identity around our health, but our health will give way. We try to wrap our identity around others' acceptance of us and what others think or say of us, but then we just turn into people pleasers. We try to wrap our identity into achievements, and therefore we will always be insecure and either timid or arrogant. The believer's identity should not be anchored, not even one ounce, not one ounce, into our affluence, our appearance, our health, our experience acceptance, our achievement, our identity is in Christ. For those who are in Christ Jesus, and now let's look at four promises in relation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The first promise, for those who are in Christ Jesus, here it goes. You guys have your Bibles open? The book of Romans? All right, here we go. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the law cannot condemn you. The law cannot condemn you. Romans 8-1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law cannot condemn you. So what exactly is the law? The law, we think that the law is bad. We think that the law is evil, the moral law, the mosaic law, the, the law of God. It's not bad. How can it be bad? God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's an expression of God's holiness, of God's love, of God's absolute purity. It's the veil between heaven and earth was pulled back and the character of God was displayed. And God revealed to us His righteous standard. That's the law. It is the systematic revelation of God's holiness, and absolute purity and love. That's the law. It's just that though the law revealed God's absolute holiness, the law lacked any power to enable us to fulfill that standard. Therefore it created a chasm between God's holiness and our sinfulness and it brought an awareness of sin, condemnation, and death. But for those who are in Christ, we cannot be condemned by the law that we have failed to measure up to. For example, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring uh, slaves to be set free. But you realize that there were slave owners who looked at that proclamation and they said, well, yeah, we're going to tear this thing up and we're not going to let anybody on our plantation know about it. So they continued to tell people, get back to work. But the rumors started circulating throughout the South, and slaves would say, are the rumors true? Is it true? I mean, did Lincoln really issue this proclamation that we're no longer slaves and we're, we're set free forever? And they said, no, it's not true. That's a lie. Get back to work. And so people who were set free continued to live in bondage because they chose to believe a lie rather than the truth. And in the same way, when Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, not only that, but he lived a completely righteous life and then paid for our sins on the cross. And he declared us to be set free from the law. We are set free forever. And our guilty conscience awakens to the rumors of our freedom in Christ and says, is it true? I mean, can, can, can I begin to hope again? And the guilty conscience says, no, no, continue to be guilty. And our fearful heart begins to say, is it true? Is there really no condemnation? Can I, can, can I walk in love? Can I walk in boldness? And our fearfulness says, no, continue to walk in fear. We continue to hide in timidity rather than walk in boldness and expect God's very best because we choose to live under a lie rather than under under the reality of who we are in Christ. Now listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. I think this is one of the best uh, explanations of um, no condemnation that I've read. Spurgeon writes, think about this, if you believe in Jesus. You are actually and effectually cleared from all guilt. You mean your guilty conscious that little hint, that little twinge of guilt is is something that you don't have to lug around behind you anymore? Absolutely, because of anything you've done, no, because of what Christ has done, and He's declared you free. You are free from prison and therefore no more in chains you are free from the bondage of the law and free from sin your savior's blood has made you free you have the right to approach your father's throne there is no vengeance or flaming sword to frighten you justice will not harm the enemy the innocent justice will not harm the innocent your spiritual disabilities are taken away there was a time when you could not see your father's face but now you can There was a time when you could not talk to Him, but you have free access to Him with all boldness. Once you feared hell, but now that fear can be gone, or at least it should be gone if you are in Christ. The innocent cannot be punished. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. The innocent cannot be punished. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned. Every blessing that you would have had if you kept the law perfectly is yours because Christ kept it for you. Isn't this an amazing statement? You have the same privileges as if you had never sinned. Let me read this again. Every blessing that you would have had if you kept the law is yours because Christ kept it for you. This is what it is to be in Christ and to not be under condemnation. All the law of acceptance that your perfect obedience could have obtained from God is yours because Christ was perfectly obedient for you. Jesus has imputed, given you all of his merits. For to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake became poor, that through his poverty might become rich... What a great debt of love and gratitude we owe our Savior. What an incredible statement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the blessings, all the boldness, all the love that you could have received had you never sinned and fulfilled the law perfectly is yours because Christ fulfilled the law perfectly for you. Let's put our hands together and praise Jesus if you believe that and if you're grateful for that. The first promise that we see from Romans chapter 8 is that in Christ the law cannot condemn you. Oh, if you would believe this for yourself personally. It would change your prayer life. It would change the way you love. It would change the way you forgive. It would change the quality of your joy. It would change your sense of expectation. It would revolutionize the intimacy in your relationship with Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, for those who are in Christ, the law cannot claim you. The law cannot claim you. It has no jurisdiction over you. Now, let's take a trip and explore two mountains. The first mountain is called Mount Sinai, and it's actually in Egypt. And it's the mountain that roughly four, four or 5,000 years ago, Moses climbed up to spend time with God. And there on Mount Sinai, God pulled back the veil from the natural into the heavenly. And Moses got a glimpse of God's face. He got a glimpse of God's glory. And he got a glimpse of God's character and the holy, righteous, perfect, absolute standard of God's love and purity. And we know that as the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law. Now if you've been around here, you know that upholding the Ten Commandments can't save anybody. It never saved anybody because nobody could ever do it. Um, The law, it revealed God's character, but the law could not impart the ability to meet that standard. God never intended it to do so. God never designed it to do so. So the law revealed God's character without imparting the ability to achieve that standard. So as a result, the law created an incredible chasm between God's holiness and an awareness of our sinfulness which brought condemnation and death. And that's Mount Sinai. But let's look at another hill and we'll call this Mount Calvary or Gogotha, And this is in Jerusalem and I... I, I I hope to be there in about uh, less than a month now and I'm looking so forward to standing on Golgotha where Jesus paid for the sins of the world. Jesus climbed up this hill, Golgotha, Mount Calvary. Uh, He was beaten and bloodied and bruised and he was carrying the cross and there he was was nailed to that cross and there he cried out, it is finished. And there on Mount Calvary Jesus paid for the sins of our sins and fulfilled the demands of the law. Jesus lived righteously on our behalf so that we can live righteously through him. Our righteousness is not our own, it's through Christ. Jesus paid for our sins and imparted to us his very own righteousness. So let's look at some contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. On Mount Sinai, Moses received and issued the law. On Mount Calvary, Jesus satisfied the demands of the law for us. What were the demands of the law? Absolute, flawless, holiness, and love. That's the demands of the law, and we've all failing, fallen miserably short. In fact, look at how miserably short each of us has fallen in relation to the law. Now, if you think that you can get to heaven by upholding the law, or by doing good, or just by of your own efforts, listen to what this uh, apostle in Romans says as he lays out this systematic theology of the gospel. Paul says, none is righteous, no, not one. You think you are? Not Moses, not Abraham, not Ezekiel, not Daniel, not Peter, James, John, Paul. Nobody. None is righteous. You think you're more righteous than them? None is righteous. No, not one. Nobody. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Not one. Their throats are an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps, snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God, not a little... And compared to God's holiness and worthiness and righteousness and love and perfection and purity, there is no fear of God before any of our eyes. And we read in Romans 23, there's no difference whether you're a religious sinner or a pagan sinner, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So on Mount Sinai, Moses received and issued the law on Mount Calvary. Jesus satisfied the demands of the law. He lived perfectly righteous on our behalf. And when Jesus died on the sins, what happened was all of the death, all of the consequences that were associated with our sin were satisfied on Jesus Christ. On Mount Sinai, the law of sin and death, the law of sin and death is revealed. On Mount Calvary, the grace of God is offered and replaces the law of sin and death. On Mount Sinai, an external fading glory shone upon the face of Moses. When he came down from Mount Sinai and he talked to the people, literally, this is in Scripture, they had to put a bag over his face because his face was shining so brilliantly and people couldn't handle it. But that glory faded and they took the bag off of his face and he was normal again. But on Mount Calvary, because of Mount Calvary, an inner eternal glory shines inside the hearts of sinners, that's the Holy Spirit, and He changes our hearts and makes us new, and that glory never fades on Mount Sinai. The righteousness of God is set as an utterly impossible and frustrating goal, but because of Mount Calvary, the righteousness of God becomes an extravagant gift Do you see the difference? On Mount Sinai, the righteousness of God, it's put on the very top shelf and established as the goal that ends up frustrating and causing everybody to fail and bring condemnation and death. But on Calvary, this righteousness of God is not established as a goal, but it's offered as an utterly extravagant gift. Because of the cross, because of Jesus... We're not motivated by scriptures like a self-help manual. We're not motivated by scriptures like some self-help manuals that you would find on the bookshelf with seven steps to a better you. No. Because of the cross, we are given as an extravagant gift the very righteousness of God. Not a lesser righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we are clothed in that righteousness. That's the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is not simply entrance into heaven. The gift of salvation is not simply forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. The gift of salvation is an extravagant gift. It is the very righteousness of God. This is why we can pray with boldness. This is why we do not have to carry and drag a net of guilt and shame and condemnation. We are the very righteousness of God on Mount Sinai. Because of Mount Sinai, we strive to be better and always fall short, but because of Mount Calvary, we are born again. We're not better, we're born again. We're not cleaned up, we're new creatures. We have a new heart. Because of Mount Sinai, we fell and are filled with guilt, fear, and sorrow, but because of Calvary, we receive Christ's new heart and righteousness. Because of Mount Sinai, death... Reigns, But because of Mount Calvary, eternal life in Christ Jesus reigns. Mount Sinai, for the wages of sin is death. Mount Calvary, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Mount Sinai, we read in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin and then condemnation and death. But because of Mount Calvary, this... Righteousness is not something we earn, it's a gift we receive. God imparts His own righteousness to anyone, even especially the worst of sinners who will humbly trust in Christ's work on the cross rather than their own work. This is why nobody struts in the presence of Christ. Nobody struts into heaven. We fall flat on our face, and we worship the King, and nobody has to tell us to do it. It's not seven steps or or ten things that you have to do to worship well. Our heart is so overwhelmed with this extravagant gift, we cannot help but fall on our face. Our heart is so overwhelmed with this extravagant gift, we cannot help but worship Jesus and return, and if you can help it, perhaps you need to evaluate if you are in Christ or if you are in Christ, and you can help worship, and, and perhaps you 're not motivated to share your faith, well, then perhaps you're living under condemnation lies, and that's so sad because you are free in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brennan Manning in Ragamuffin Gospel puts it like this: because salvation is grace through faith. I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the the throne and in front of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hand, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me that she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could faced with the grueling alternatives, the businessman besieged with debt, who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions, the insecure clergyman addicted to being liked, who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love, the sexually abused teen molested by his father and now selling his body on the streets, who... As he falls asleep each night after his last trick, whispers the name of Jesus Christ that he learned about in Sunday school. But how, we ask, how are these people going to make it into heaven? Then the voice says, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are, there we are, the multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life, bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you've never understood the gospel of grace. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, the law cannot claim you. And those who strive to fellowship with God by upholding the law are destined to a life of frustration. In fact, if you flip back a page in Romans chapter 7, it's hard to teach Romans chapter 8. In fact, incomplete to teach Romans chapter 8 apart from Romans chapter 7. Let's look at Paul's frustration as he strive to have a relationship with God uh, apart from grace and under the law. Now there's some debate that goes back. Is Paul writing this before he's saved and talking about his frustration of of trying to earn salvation and then he's introduced to grace? Or is Paul saved and talking about just the frustration of of trying to be a great Christian and always uh, stumbling short? Either interpretation is fine. I personally believe that Paul is talking about his experience as a Christian, as a believer in Romans chapter 7. And I believe that because it's akin to my experience over the years. The the, the frustrations that I've had and wanting so badly to walk with Christ and and, and, and stumbling and falling short time and time again. But let's read at the frustration uh, destined for those who try to relate with God based upon their own striving rather than resting in God's righteousness at the cross. So... Those who strive to, fellowship, strive to fellowship with God by upholding the law are frustrated. And this is what they realize. The law, this mosaic system, this mosaic law, this revelation of God's holiness, but striving to meet it on our own efforts with our own works. The law increases my guilt by revealing my sin. That's all it does. It simply increases my guilt by revealing my sin. Romans 7, Paul says, What shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. It's not sinful, it came from God. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. So if you didn't know that you shouldn't covet, are you still held accountable for coveting? Absolutely, the wages of sin is death. Nobody is without excuse. But the revelation of the law brings greater condemnation and greater consequence. The law increases my guilt by revealing my sin. Secondly, the law stirs my desire to sin. Verse 8 and 9. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law... Sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. In other words, if there's ever a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch, guess what I do? I touch it. If there's a sign that says, uh, keep off the grass, I've got to walk on it. If the waitress gives me a plate and says, it's hot, don't touch it, I've got to touch it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, that is hot. Why? That's our flesh nature, and we instinctively want to do what we're told not to do, and this is how the law simply stirs our flesh nature, our flesh nature up, and creates a desire within us to sin. Thirdly, the law promised life, but proved to be death to me. Romans ten eleven, Romans chapter seven verse ten and eleven, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death. Well, how did it promise life? Well, the law says, do this and you will live; do this and you'll be blessed. Don't do this and you'll live. Don't do this and you will be blessed, stirring our flesh, causing us to do it, and bringing condemnation and death. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. It's not that the law is evil or deceitful, but our flesh and sinful nature and Satan is and saw an opportunity to bring death. Next, the law reveals the wickedness of sin. We read in verse 12 and 13. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. The same thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve. Found a window to bring death into life. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful. Sinful beyond measure. And the most frustrating of all about the law is that the law cannot change you, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. The law cannot enable you to do good, verse 15 through 21. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. in me. And this text primarily is why I believe this is talking about Paul as a Christian trying to live the Christian life but being frustrated because he's still trying to live it in the, in the flesh. But we, re- we will unpack the principles of living the Christian life not in the flesh but in the spirit throughout this series in Romans chapter 8. And then verses 21 through 25 chapter 7, the law cannot set you free. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God Again, if if he weren't saved, he wouldn't be delighting in the law of God. In my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt like that? Gosh, I'm such a failure. Man, I'm such a loser. What a wretched person that I am. Man, I messed up again. I screwed up again. I just can't get it right. Man, I neglected my quiet times. Man, I'm such a bad Christian. What a wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then we enter into Romans chapter 8 verse 1. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We are not in the law. We are the, we are the product of Mount Calvary, Golgotha, not Mount Sinai. We don't have to... Uh, Look at the righteousness of God and fall short in apprehending it because God has clothed us with His own righteousness as a perfect, beautiful, extravagant gift. And then thirdly, those who are in Christ realize that the law cannot convict you. Chapter 8, verse 3, and we read, "...for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh." Have you guys ever heard of the phrase double jeopardy? you guys know what double jeopardy is? Double jeopardy prevents an accused person of facing prosecution more than once for the same offense, even if they're guilty, even if everybody knows they did it. If they were sentenced and they were not condemned, they cannot later be tried and prosecuted for that same offense in which they were set free. That's the law of double jeopardy. Now Jesus Christ, when He was on the cross two thousand years ago, He suffered as payment for your sin. Every sin that you've ever committed in thought, action, and deed, every sin that you've ever committed, Jesus Christ suffered brutally for your sin. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered what? Once for sins. We read again in Romans the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. And then again in Hebrews, for by one sacrifice, one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What is this once? talking about it's talking about double jeopardy if you and I ever start feeling convicted and guilty and remorseful and timid because of something in our past or even something in our present then we are walking under a lie that we no longer have to walk under because 2,000 years ago Jesus suffered once for sin once and for all he paid the price we cannot therefore be judged for it accused of it condemned by it as a result and as Spurgeon said, all of the blessings of God are ours as if we fulfilled the law perfectly, and we are the perfectly right. We are the perfect righteousness of God because in Christ, that's exactly who we are. Do you guys want to see this principle at work? I hope this brings you joy. I hope, this, I, I hope this. is bringing you freedom and liberty. I really do. Because if you can just, if you can just walk from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary everything will change but reality is we want to cling to Mount Sinai because our flesh is legalistic to the core, we want to do something, we have pride, we want to help ourselves out, we want to earn what God gives us. But over here at Mount Calvary, all we can bring is our failure, and we lay it at the feet of Christ in a humble spirit, and then we then receive forgiveness and the very righteousness of Christ. And if you, the, if, if you can make the journey this morning from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary, it's a journey that takes that long to take, just that long. If you can make the journey from Sinai to Calvary, everything in your heart will be new. Everything. Sometimes I talk to people who've stumbled, Christians who stumble, and they're like, I just, I want to stay away from the church. I want to get myself together. What are they doing? They're camping out on Mount Sinai. Sometimes people think, gosh, I'm not going to go to church because if I went to that place, it would just burn down. What are they doing? They're, They're camping out on Mount Sinai. Sometimes people think, I just want to, I'm not going to pray, I, I, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to try to get myself together, have about two weeks of good quiet times, then I'll pray. What are you doing? You're, you're camping out on my, Mount Sinai. It's why you don't have joy. It's why you're craving the world, because we have these hearts and souls that crave intimacy, and the only thing that's going to quench your heart is coming back to Mount Calvary, where we just freely receive the righteousness of God as an extravagant gift you guys awake? Put your hands together if you're awake. Let's praise Jesus for this no condemnation in Christ. If in a second, and it takes this long, this long, this long, this long to repent and trust in the righteousness of Christ. And then at that moment, your heart is new. It doesn't take 12 steps over six months or six years. It takes that long to travel from Sinai to Calvary, where your heart can be transformed and you are new. So, do you guys believe me on that? And do believe the word, not me. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody said, hey, is this the way you really meant to say this or that? And I'm like, you know what? That was, that was mentioned clumsily. Thank you. And, and I welcome that. Don't take what I say at face value. You make sure everything I say lines up with the word of God. The fourth point in this is that the law cannot control you. Um, the Spirit now controls us, and we live the new life in Christ. And, and I just want to say AA is awesome, and NA is awesome, and I, and I would recommend it. I, I think it's great. And, but I'm just saying that, that the Spirit of Christ, without the Spirit of Christ, you can't sustain that. It's, it's the Spirit of Christ that makes your heart new. And sometimes, sometimes Christians stumble, and you know what? man, they feel beat up with condemnation and they they think, I thought I was a better person than this. No. No, you, you weren't. And none of us were. There's none righteous, no not one. It's never our own righteousness that we boast in, it's Christ's righteousness. And the moment we transfer from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary and fall on our face and we don't try to achieve God's acceptance, but we receive his righteousness at that moment, our heart is filled with an intimacy to worship and seek Christ and a boldness to live for Christ It does something to us supernatural so that at that moment on it's like uh, our our spirit is able to subdue the flesh instead of the flesh dominating our lives. And if you are living a life in which the whims of your flesh are dominating your lives, man, you're a tornado. And you're bringing a lot of destruction on yourself and those who love us, uh, those who love you. But when we receive the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we are new creatures and our spirit begins dominating our lives from time to time the flesh will seek to reassert itself but in the name of Jesus and growing in sanctification we crucify the flesh and we continue to walk in righteousness on Mount Sinai we didn't have that power we didn't have that authority over the flesh now here we do here we do it's Christ living in us and she gave an awesome testimony about the power of Christ just keep seeking Christ stay close to Jesus, stay close to Jesus, stay close to the body of Christ. Part of the sanctification that helps people in their spirit overcome the flesh and walk in freedom is your daily time with the Lord. It's it's a relationship. The body of Christ, it's an incubator that keeps our heart quenched. So long as you come here for the right reason, to seek God and to serve one another, it's 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 an incubator. Man, I get real worried when, when some people start, you know, because of work, they're, they're putting work first, and they're, or vacationing first, and they start getting far removed. I'm like, man, I'm thinking, man, they're about to crash, they're about to crash, because the Spirit is in them, but, but the Spirit isn't being stirred and not growing through the body of Christ, through your relationship with Christ, through community, through home groups, and uh, man, that's... That's so awesome just to keep you close to the Lord and your heart filled with the intimacy from Christ rather than getting thirsty and craving, craving the world. Man, Christ is good, isn't He? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I challenged, we, we Patrick and I challenged our youth a few weeks, a few months back uh, to memorize Romans chapter 8 and, and some of them did it. Uh, Victoria and Brandy uh, did it, Uh, Jabez, they memorized Romans chapter 8. I I encourage you guys to memorize Romans chapter 8. Man, memorize it, work on it, at least the first half of it. Just go as far as you can get over the next month. Just really focus on memorizing Romans chapter 8. So I wonder how many of you are in Mount Sinai right now man it's time to get it's time to fall on your face before Jesus Christ at Mount Calvary and receive his spirit and the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God if you will travel from Sinai to Calvary then you will stand up a changed person you'll be forgiven you'll be the righteousness of God and you have full permission to pray with complete authority and boldness you have full permission to have joy you have full permission from God to expect his very best blessings for your life his joy comes in the morning. His mercies are new every morning. So if you're prepared for baptisms, you can slip out and make your way down. You can uh, change, and then um, we will be joining you. The baptistry is downstairs, and this, it's awesome, and we're all going to be circling around the baptism after our altar call, after our invitation, and celebrating people who are made new, these new creatures. This is a greater miracle than a baby being born. You know, the whole family gathers around when a baby's born and we celebrate, right? Well, when somebody is born again and they follow Jesus as testified by, they have a heart to follow Jesus in the newness of life. When they have this heart to follow Christ, you know that their heart is new. And so we're going to be circling around the baptistry and celebrating all of these new lives. And I think around five or so are following Jesus in baptism, and we have a handful more prepared for baptism in future weeks. So... If if you've been walking in guilt and condemnation, I want to encourage you to come down here at this altar, use this stage as an altar, and kneel down and say, I'm going to stop striving and I'm going to receive. You see, true Christianity is not about trying so much as it is trusting. I'm going to stop striving and I'm going to receive. I'm going to stop trying to earn God's acceptance and I'm I'm going to receive His absolute righteousness. So, would you bow your heads? If that's you, if you would like to receive God's absolute righteousness for a new heart, a new life, raise your hand. Okay. All right. So I just want to encourage you guys just to come down and maybe you're, you're getting saved, but perhaps you're a Christian, and you're just going to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to receive your righteousness, and I'm going to refocus on my righteousness in Christ rather than my effort to earn your approval. So let's just respond with worship.